Well, good morning, Freedom Center Church. You guys feeling good this morning? That was, uh, some of you are still waking up. Well, my name is Pastor Avery, and uh, I am the elementary pastor here at Freedom Center Church. I'm excited to be able to share with you this morning. If anybody forgot their glasses or sitting in the back, I am not Pastor Jim. Uh, we, we, for obvious reasons, don't usually get mistaken, but um, man, I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. I believe that God has a word on my heart. And, uh, man, I just believe that God's going to do some really big things. So I just want to uh, quickly just open up. So my wife, uh, Alyssa, and I, she, uh, she's, she's sitting over here. Uh, we moved to Fenton about four years ago, three and a half years ago. And, uh, man, God has just been so faithful. He's been so good. Uh, a little over two years ago, we took over and been kind of overseeing the elementary ministry here at the church. And it's been such a blessing to be able to just pour into some of your children and grandchildren and uh, get to know them and see God just kind of uh, moving them as, uh, over the past couple of years. And so it's been it's been good, but um, just a, a little bit about my family. So I got a picture that I felt like I was obliged to do this just because they're so, so beautiful. Um, so that, those are our two daughters. Uh, yes, I'm a girl dad. That is our daughters, Everly. She is three years old and Haven right there, a bundle of joy. She is one. Uh, for anybody in here that has not had kids yet or is, uh, has not named their kids yet, not like you have a four-year-old running around without a name, but like you, maybe you're thinking about the names or something like that. Uh, we decided with our second one that we wanted to name her something that had, you know, like a, a really deep, rich meaning, something that really meant something. And so her name is Haven Joy. It means safe place of joy. And she is, I kid you not, the happiest baby that I've ever met in my entire life. Um, and at that point, we decided... We don't even know what Everly Rose means. It just sounds good, you know? And so we decided to look it up to figure out, okay, what does her name actually mean? And it answered so many questions for us. Uh, Her name, I kid you not, means wild boar farm. And so... We realized, oh my goodness, you know, this, this makes so much sense, but she is an adventure. Uh, she keeps us on our toes. We make so many amazing memories with her, but in all seriousness, she is, she's fun. Uh, and obviously, that's, that's my wife, Alyssa, there. We'll be celebrating four years of marriage in a few days. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Um, and so, yeah, God is good. I absolutely love her. She is my better half. It's bad theology, but it sounds good, and it wins you brownie points. So um, she's my better half. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but like early on in marriage, uh, you know, we had a lot that we were kind of figuring out still and still kind of working through. And so uh, let's just say my wife, as much as I love her, she wasn't quite Gordon Ramsay. Uh, and so we had some trials and some errors in the kitchen, you know, as we were kind of figuring things out for ourselves. And so, you know, you know, like something terrible has gone wrong when your wife is like slaving in the kitchen for like over an hour comes back with this plate that looks less than exciting. And uh, she just kind of looks at you with this face of disappointment after taking a bite saying, you know you don't have to actually eat this right. And next thing you know, you're in the car on the way to get a hot and ready pizza. So, uh, you know, God's good. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited because now we're, we're, we're both eating meals that uh, we enjoy and we love. And uh, I'm excited to actually eat leftovers and all that stuff. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's my family. But um, in all seriousness, we are going to get into the Word of God this morning. And um, uh, kind of to segue from that, like I said, I'm the kids pastor here at the church. I'm the elementary pastor. Last week we were at camp. Uh, we were there for three nights, four days, and I saw God move in some amazing ways. I don't know what you picture when you think about kids' ministry, um, but there's, 
a mighty move of God that happened in Grass Lake, Michigan last week when uh, we had about 22 kids. There was about 260 kids there in total. And um, it, it reminded me of this. This is, this is what I want to challenge us with this morning before we get in uh, to kind of the word and what we're going to be at this morning, talking about being a city on a hill. Uh, it reminded me of a, of a parable. You know, Jesus often used stories, metaphors, kind of sort of analogies to help us better understand the kingdom of God. You know, it's kind of like there's, there's concepts, there's ideas, there's the, the economy of the way that the kingdom works is oftentimes a little bit bigger than kind of our, our tiny minds can really understand. So to use these, you know, analogies that often were a little bit more grounded uh, kind of in modern day for what they could understand. So agricultural examples, you know, because that was a society made sense. I'm willing to bet many of us in here probably are not farmers by trade, maybe a couple, but uh, I'm willing to bet most of us are not. But maybe one that's uh, a little bit easier for all of us to be able to grasp. So I, the way that I saw it last week seeing these kids in the altar worshiping is that the kingdom of God, kind of like my wife's cooking, you know, is often like a, like a microwave. You know, when you get excited to make, you know, heat up some leftovers the next day, maybe it's Thanksgiving, you know, and you've got that plate of like so much food and you're feeling like a glutton. There's the, the turkey and the mashed potatoes and the stuffing and the, the green beans and all, you know, all the fixings that, you know, shouldn't fit on one plate, but it somehow does. And you throw it in that box, that container, you turn it on for a minute or two and like it comes out. And even though all the contents... Or in the same environment for the same amount of time, isn't it crazy how you can have mashed potatoes that are like piping hot to the touch, literally like burns your mouth like it's literally like lava, and you can have, you know, a brick of mashed, like a mac and cheese that it's like, like ice, like you didn't even do anything, right? It's interesting how that works. And when I was at camp last week, I saw us deep in worship, 15, 20 minutes into worship, and I saw kids at the altar worshiping, praying on their face before God, and I saw this little girl, I kid you not, you know, I think she was maybe 10 years old, maybe a couple services in, you know, her, her arms are crossed. It looks like she wants nothing to do with the moment. And as the same word of God has gone forth, the same spirit is moving in that room. You could see in a moment a kid being broken before God, and you could see somebody that wants nothing to do with what's happening here. And so I want to challenge some of you this morning that I don't know where you find yourself. I don't know if you've been walking with God twice as long as I've been alive, or you know, you're just kind of figuring this out, or you were dragged here this morning and you want nothing to do with this, or Pastor Jim isn't here and you're kind of like, who is this guy? But I believe that a lot like that, man, that the way that we position ourselves this morning, the way that we lean in and expect for God to do something miraculous and amazing, I saw that same little girl who after about four or five different people came up and tried to love on her and try to pray for her. It reminded me of how the love of God is so relentless in pursuing after us that even in our disinterest, even when we want nothing to do with what's happening in the moment, God's still using people will stop at nothing to get through to us. And I remember looking back over in a moment of worship and seeing something breaking through that might have taken her past her weeks or months or years to be able to break through some of the layers of what a callister heart. I saw her worshiping in an altar with her hands raised, singing out to God. And I thought, praise God for what he can do in a moment that, you know, unfortunately with man, you know, may not be possible. And so I just want to believe this morning that God's going to move. And what we're going to do here in just a moment, I'm only going to talk for a few moments, but we're going to open up these altars. There's going to be people that want to pray with you this morning, that want to stand with you this morning. And I believe that whatever you came in here with, that God is going to move and that, man, whatever, man, maybe you've been believing for and you've got somebody here this morning, I believe that uh, maybe something miraculous can happen. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. So let's join together in prayer. Let's believe that God's going to move in this place. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We're excited to be able to come to you this morning. We believe that you have a word for every single person under the sound of my voice. Lord, help me get out of the way because this is not about me. But Lord, I thank you that your word needs no help. But Lord, I thank you that as 
Your word goes forth. You said it would not return void. I thank you that where two or more are gathered in this space, you are here. And Lord, you are desiring to do a work. And so you've been excited all day for your son or for your daughter to get down in this altar and to meet you where you've been waiting for them. So Jesus, I thank you that whatever it is, God, in a moment, Lord, I thank you that you can do it. We have faith and we have expectation to believe that uh, you're going to move in this place. And we believe, God, that we won't walk away the same. We love you. We're excited for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right. And so uh, where I want to go to this morning, we're talking about city on a hill. And I'm kind of coming in towards the end of the series. So uh, you guys should be well-versed and you guys should be pros at this point. But uh, Matthew 7, Jesus talks about how you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So our calling, our command from Jesus is to be the light of the world. And so how then, when we live in a day and age where we have so much at our fingertips, so much information, when we're more connected to to those around us in the world at large than we've ever been in history, when, like Pastor Jim talked about last week, being equipped with the Holy Spirit, man, we really, we have all that we need. How then do we find it so difficult sometimes to do this, to be the light of the world? What are are those obstacles? What are those challenges? Why Why is it so hard sometimes? How important is this? Is this something that we really need to get? Is it just a good idea or how do we do this well? So I want to challenge us this morning from a story that, you know, I've kind of been looking into and I believe that no matter where you find yourself, that I believe that we can all find something uh, to take from this. So we're going to turn to Mark uh, chapter 10, uh, verse 17 through 27. So Mark chapter 10, this is Matthew, but it's in Mark. Uh, It's in Mark. This is the story of the rich young ruler. And so here's a guy who by all accounts and society standards back in this day, kind of have, had it all together. They called him the rich young ruler because at this time, you know, he was thought to be a, maybe a ruler of a, like a synagogue or kind of a, 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 like a religious kind of sector. And so normally this space was reserved for, uh, you know, older people or kind of elders. And so the fact that he's already reached this status at such a young age is pretty significant. Uh, he's also acquired kind of a great wealth. And so he's, he's doing pretty good to say the least. But then how yet he comes to Jesus and he has a pretty important question. And so I just want to take a look at this interaction, kind of figure out, you know, what Jesus is trying to show us here in this, in this response. And uh, I believe there's something that we can take from this. So it says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder commit adultery, you shall not steal, give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. I love that line. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. It finishes with this. It says, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it were amazing. So yes, well, he decided to say this again. He says, but Jesus said again, children of God, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Those were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? But with God, before just done and all, he, Jesus said this, surely it's kind of looking in hindsight at how we would have, because how, to Jesus, and especially a man of his status, so he was willing to kind of, bit of, you know, of embarrassment or he's willing to bring shame to himself for the sake of desperation. And yet he fell to his knees and he asked him this question, what must I do? 
I've got to commend him because he's going to the right place. And as I was confronted with this passage, I, you know, the wrong place, asking the right questions, but getting myself going to the right people, the right place. But my heart really, I have to look at this and think with, you know, just humanity. I don't know. I, I find that there's probably a lot of times that God looks at me and is like, ah, I haven't even made it to that length. And so what I find interesting, this wasn't after was message. Uh, if we go back one slide, because he, he asked him, he says, why do you call me good? No, no one is not murder. You shall not, you shall not defraud. He, he goes through this list and it's not like this magic formula that, okay, have you checked all the boxes? Have you done all the right things? Are you, are you good enough? You're not good enough. If, in the other gospels, you know, he commit murder is good except God alone. I, I'm not after your morality, obedient, but what he's saying is you can't work. What if you really kept all the commandments, you would know this, that the second you're, that was easy for you to selling but he couldn't do it. And I was, as I was safe, here this man is. But there's an obstacle. And so I thought to myself, man, I, I really feel like when it comes to just our lives, it comes to our soul and Jesus coming after us, I think the greatest obstacle to our call isn't your coworker, your boss, or whoever else, but it's ourself. The enemy to our calling is ourself. And I thought to myself, I kind of want to use this. Uh, you can't have the kids pastor up here and not expect an object lesson, something up here. But um, I, here this man is, the rich young, you know, he looks a little beat up. Thank you. I don't know if we would look the best if you had a. Let's, anyways, you know, I'm thinking to myself, here the rich young ruler is. I'm sure at this point he, he's successful. He's very calculated. Every dollar that he had, every possession that he owned, I'm sure he had a plan for it. I'm sure he had a destination for it. I'm sure he could see 5, 10, 15 years out. He had, he had it all figured out. And the beauty of God is that he gives us the capacity to dream. He gives us the capacity to be able to see far out and to think and to you know, be able to dream big. But what if our dreams isn't God's plan or God's intention for what we have? And so Isaiah 55, I want to take a look at this passage. It says this, God tells us, he says, for my thoughts, they're not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As far as the heavens, think about that for a moment. As far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are than your thoughts. It's easy to speed past that and just kind of get to the end of the sermon. But if you really sit for a moment and consider that, the weight of that, the significance of that, that my thoughts are not his thoughts. My, my ways are not his ways. Yet the rich young ruler had a hard time understanding that whatever way that you know, he had made up in his mind as far as the course of his life or the things that he had collected, what he felt like he was holding on to, that man, he couldn't forfeit that for the sake of what God was offering him in return. And so understanding if Isaiah 55 says that, man, our thoughts are not our, our, our if uh, my thoughts are, are not as high as his thoughts, not as great, not as grand, not as all-encompassing or able to see as much as his thoughts, then why then would I consider my own thoughts? So why is he here? So 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. If we want to look at the Bible, what does it say? I don't have a slide for it, but it says, if we're a new creation in Christ, it says what? The old has passed away. And it says, behold, the new has come. 
The old has passed away and the new has come. Galatians 2.20 says this. It says that I have been crucified with Christ. My old self is put up with the cross with Christ. It is crucified. It is dead and gone. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but it is it's Jesus Christ who lives in me. So when I wake up in the morning, how foolish is it? I wake up at 6 a.m. this morning. I think, man, how does Avery feel today? What, what does Avery think today? That should not matter anymore when my, my old self is pinned up and he's dead on the cross. Because my, my thoughts are not as high as his thoughts. My, my ways are not his ways. And so my feelings, my emotions, if I let that dictate the course of my day or dictate the course of my life, I don't even know what's best for myself. I, I don't. My, my flesh, my old man, my old self, he's all about self-preservation, self-gratification. He's going to protect myself from putting myself out there because, hey, Avery, you know, last time you did that, that, that didn't go so well. So maybe it's best we play it safe this time. Hey, I, I, I'm walking around the mall, man, like that. It's not that expensive. Just make that purchase, whatever. It's like, ah, oh, man, like my, my spirit knows I've been lacking in generosity. Man, it's just one more hobby. It's just one more TV show. Let me, let me take it on its... We haven't spent time with God all week. You're feeling empty. Man, my, my old self... My old self doesn't know what's best for me because my, my, my thoughts are not as high as his thoughts. My ways are not as high as his ways, and so why consider them? It belongs in the grave, dead and gone. The old is gone. The new has come. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. So I think about it then, like how, what's really the issue here? Like, what are we really talking about? I think it is in, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 23, it says this, and it's so powerful because Jesus looked at him and it says that he, he loved him. He looked at him and he loved him and he said this to his disciples after this man walked away sad for he had great wealth. He had so much that he was holding on to, he couldn't simply let it go. He realized that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, how hard, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven? And this morning, to an American church in Fenton, Michigan, yeah, maybe we're talking about wealth here. Maybe we're talking about money. I think we're all adults. We can kind of analyze our own hearts for ourselves, but... I think it's deeper than that. I think the issue is that we have too much. We have so much that at the end of the day, because we've taken on another thing and we've got something else and there's that and I got to run here and I got to make it to that and uh, my, my money is tied to this and that, it's like we've, we've choked out any room for God any space for God to be able to move in our lives. And so we're asking for more of his spirit. We're asking for more of his grace, more of his mercy in our lives. We want more, 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 more. But what if I propose to us this morning that our solution to receiving more of what we need in life is in direct correlation to us letting go of something that we already have? Maybe we don't, we're not even giving God space to move in our lives because we have so much going on. But yet, like the rich young ruler, we think that this is so much better. And I, I, it's just, it feels so good. And this is, this is the right way, but I don't know what's best for me. I, I don't realize that what I'm forfeiting and giving something to God is, he's giving me something so much greater in return. So much greater in return. There was a, uh, I, don't, I don't do much, you know, 
looking up on history. You got to come back next week for Pastor Jim if you want, you know, the, the good history lessons. I'm sorry. I was more of a math guy. But uh, in uh, medieval times, there's uh, this infantry known as the Knights Templar. They're pretty, they're pretty popular. Maybe you guys know about them. Uh, maybe you guys can fill me in after the service. But uh, I found this story really interesting because it said that uh, there's like this Christian infantry in the medieval times, but it says that when they would go to be baptized, you know, this symbolism of when when I'm being submerged in the water, this death that's taking place, that's symbolizing with Christ, and being raised out of the water and symbolizing this life that is now being made new in Christ. It actually says that they would be baptized in full armor, which I think that's got to be difficult, first of all. Like, I don't even know how you do that. But they were baptized in full armor. But the thing is, is that the only thing that they would keep out of the water that they would hold up in the air would be their sword. And so what they were signifying in that moment was, God, you can have all of me except for this. Take every part of me, but this isn't yours. And it got me to thinking in my own life, how often do I say that to God? You can have all of me except... As long as you don't touch this corner of my life, as long as you don't hold on, you can have everything else, but you can't have this. And I I believe that this morning for some of us, God is calling us to lay down some things. I, I don't know if you realize it or not, but maybe God has been trying to do something in your life for a long time, but we're not giving him space to. We're holding on to something that's allow, disallowing him to be able to move in a way that he wants to in our lives. And if I can be transparent for a, morning, uh, for a moment this morning, and I hope you hear my heart when I say this, I think the time in my life where I felt most full of God's spirit, most full of his joy, most sure of my purpose, most intimate with him. Thank God for everything he's given me. And he's blessed me in my life. But it wasn't necessarily after I got all the things I prayed for, the wife, the kids, the ministry calling that I get to walk in, thank God, or the house or the whatever. All that is good. And I'm not saying I'm discontent in that or I don't love that. But I think the time in my life where I was most full of his spirit, the most intimate with him, was when I had nothing about five years ago and I'm working a minimum wage job, nothing in my bank account, no girlfriend, let alone no wife, just believing like, Lord, you got me, right? And uh, I had nothing. But yet I would come home every day from work with joy and excitement in my heart because I had a little walk-in closet in my bedroom that I would go and I would meet with God my, my Bible would be right there on a chair and I would get on my knees before him and I would pray and I would weep and he would meet me in this space and I would hear his voice and he would talk to me and I didn't need anything else because I realized that when I had nothing, I truly had everything. That when there was so little vying for my attention with social media off my phone, no TV, no distraction, whatever, that he was all that I ever needed. And I'm not saying families and jobs and all that is bad, but what I'm saying is that the more that we accumulate in life, the harder it makes for God to move because we're here, we're there, we're off to this, we're off to that. I'm not saying you need to quit your job, you need to get rid of everything, find a way to glorify God in what you already have, but maybe, just maybe, there's some things that we need to let go of this morning. And so in a moment, 
what we're going to do is we're going to open up these altars. I'm going to invite you know, a prayer team and people to come up here. And if you need to lay some things down, man, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. But I kind of want to close with this thought. Because what are we really talking about here? Like, are we talking about just like living your best life now? Or like, man, I just need to find like some, some good inspiration for my motivational Monday. I need something to just kind of ride a wave to get through this week because it's, ah, man, it's going to be a tough week. I don't think that's really what we're talking about here, what's at stake here as far as what this passage is having to say. Because what, what, what's, what's really at stake is far greater than that. It's your soul. It's eternity that we're really talking about. He, he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And if we're going to take Jesus at his words, let's see what he has to say. In Matthew 7, 13, he says this. There we go. It says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. If we want to take Jesus at his words and take him seriously, consider what he's saying here. He's saying that following him, living a life, walking in his spirit, being the light of the world, he never said it would be easy. He never said it would be without pain. He never said it would be without discomfort. He never said that it would make you you uncomfortable. But what he's saying is that it's the only life that's worth living. And what he's saying is that it's the only way to life. Therefore, choose life. Choose life. Um, this is going to be a little hard to share, but um, I think about how many times in my life, how many times in my life has been God been trying to use me or speak through me, and I have just been so occupied in the moment where I've thought that I knew better. My cousin growing up uh, was like the, I didn't have any siblings, so he was like the annoying little brother. Like he would take my shoes because he thought they were cool and he like would just do all the like annoying things that little siblings would do. Uh, At least I'm told because I didn't have little siblings at the time. So he was that guy. And uh, we we would spend so much time together growing up. But as we got older, we kind of started to drift apart a little bit. And uh, especially getting into like high school and stuff like that. And he got into the wrong crowd and just messing with stupid people and doing stupid stuff. I, I remember for years, I would hear this nagging voice that would tell me to text him, reach out to him, make that phone call. And it's like with the rich young ruler, we have this amazing capacity to be able to dream, to be able to see forward and to, to think big. But what I was missing was that whatever my, my, my dream or my plan for those moments, that was never God's intention. And so two years ago, almost three, November 13th, 2019, I got the worst phone call I think I've ever received in my entire life. It's that that same cousin that I pushed off, that I ignored reaching out to, that I should have got in touch with, but I made every excuse in the book not to because I'm busy or I don't even know what I would say or he probably would think, oh, I just 
So many excuses. I got a phone call about 7.30 at night that he had been gunned down and he died in a hospital with no family, no friends, nobody around him. And I thought to myself, how many times was God trying to use me in those moments? But I couldn't get over myself to see what he was trying to do. we could just stand here for a moment. Um, if you I want to invite people down to the altar and if you're one of those people, staff member, whoever, I'd love for you to be able to fill the space. And I want to challenge us for a moment that what we're really talking about here is, yeah, your soul. Yeah, your eternity. I think it's a little bit bigger than that though too, right? I think what we're really talking about here in this city, series about being the city on a hill is that there are other people who need you. Yeah, yeah, I've made that decision. I'm good. Thank God for that. Thank, thank God for that. But the reality is, is that there's other people who don't know and they need you. My last and final point, before we sing and we flood this altar is this, is that you are God's plan to bring heaven to earth. There is no plan B. There is no other option. You are God's plan to bring heaven to earth. And so if you are in this place and you're like, I don't know if I've ever made that decision. I don't know if I would say that, you know, Jesus Christ is really the Lord of my life. I've really laid that down. There is a whole slew of people down here that would love to pray for you with no shame and I believe that in a moment, just like that little girl at that camp last week, God could do something miraculous. And if you're also in this place, you're like, you know, I've been doing this for a minute, but if I'm honest, there's probably some things that I need to lay down before God. I, I really could kind of up my game a little bit because I realize that maybe God's trying to use me in a greater way this morning. And I haven't given him the space to be able to do that. And so I believe as we worship, God is gonna tear down some walls. God is gonna open some blind eyes and we're gonna see some things that he's been trying to show us for a long time because God's been speaking, but it's just your turn to listen now. So with hands raised to heaven, Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you that we are a part of your plan. We are a part of your purpose. God, that you desire to use us, use people. We are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So Lord, we will walk away from this place with our heads, heads held high, with a burden in our heart, knowing that you desire to use us. But Jesus, let us not walk away from this place if there's something that you're gripping our heart with right now that we need to lay down to you, we need to commit to you. Let us come to this altar, fill this place. And Lord, I thank you that you will speak to us and you will do a work, a miraculous work in the mighty name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill this place. We worship you in the name of Jesus.